welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Jerry Springer. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is nice. I, I, I love the crowd at the, because uh, when we first started doing this, you know, we got two people and one of them we had to pay just to come in here. So now this is really nice. Thanks, hey, uh, yeah. we just read on this Jerry's is, phone as we were starting this podcast this episode. Truth, yeah. This, is this comes from CNN. A C, by the way, we're streaming live. So some pe- people are hearing this the night of the Republican Nevada caucus. Others are hearing this on an archive version, and it'll be some weeks after we recorded it. So there's always a lag of at least a week or two or three. These tend to stack up a bit. But as the Nevada caucuses are occurring or about to occur, CNN, a CNN reporter made this reference. Please read it, Jerry. This is uh, email. Uh, uh, Jerry, just heard CNN refer to the political process going on right now as the Jerry Springerization of the new age of politics. <laughs> Just thought I'd share it. I am so proud. I am honestly, I am so proud. Wow. And you know, how, what, a, how, what a legacy. How hot is hell? Yeah, really. Because I burn real easy. I'm very light. I'm very light complected. You can't see it here on the podcast. Very but, fragile. Oh, am I going to burn? And, and Megan, you know this. I've told you this story because you're much younger than Jerry and me. But, but we have, I've been cultivating this friendship since, what, 1970, 1969. And my first wife, Bonnie, who's here tonight in the audience, and she would say, you know, Gene, you and Mickey are doing really well (laughs) with this podcast. You're both going to be single here real soon if you don't watch it. She's like, Gene, you sure you want to stay with this? And I said, Bonnie, one day that doll's going to hunt. He's going to be rich. He is going to be rich. What's the return on investment, this guy? And by what God. What is his ROI? So, so, just, so yeah. just to make that point, Megan, and you've seen this too, and your friendship, because the three of us have all become really good friends in doing this, and that's why, one of the reasons why we love doing this. Is uh, so we were in New York City, Megan, uh, a couple weekends ago. Uh, Jerry, who, by the way, is a just a good guy and he's very generous with his uh wealth. And so Bonnie and I joined Jerry and his wife, Mickey. We go to New York, we've been doing it for a bunch of years, right? Jerry, oh, that's right, yeah. the birthday know, trip, 30 yeah. years or so, yeah. or something. So, anyway, it, it this is what pisses me off <laughs> is that the, the people who need the help the most, Megan are not the ones who get it. That would be you and me. I was going to say, I mean, you're referring could, to yourself in this. It'd be really yeah. nice yeah. to be comp sometimes. It would be. It would and, be. and by the way, <laughs> I do uh, ads for the Ludlow City Bus Company, so I'm not like I'm nobody. I mean, you know what I'm pretty saying? Big, pretty big deal here in Ludlow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we get, we're in this restaurant called Catch. Oh, yeah. Is that a cool place, Jerry? Yeah, it really is. It really, it's and in the, the meatpacking district of New York. Oh, yeah. It's so Manhattan. cool. Mm-hmm. It's great. It really cool. was. So we're in there. And God bless them, these, and it's a real youthful place, and it's loaded with all these young chefs. There wasn't anyone within 40 years. No, there wasn't. (laughs) It really was depressing. And they brought wave after wave of food, Megan, each brought out by a different chef. 
who would, he was all excited, he or she, about I made this and this is my dish. And they come out and lay it out and they lay it out for the four of us. And they would turn to Jerry and say, hey, this will not be on the bill. That's and disgusting. one course after another. And I'm like, why the hell does he get right. this? Well, same thing happened at Skyline after the show. Is that not true? Absolutely. When we get on the Skyline down the road, and I mean, how much is cheese going to be? Like well, $1.69. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we're right. sitting there and we're But we would our- take it free, wouldn't we? Absolutely. I mean, us. Yeah. We Absolutely. would take it. I'm embarrassed. I, I didn't realize that. When you go to a restaurant, they charge you they for the food? They do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> they charge me. They do. That yep. is so yep. weird. And Megan, that night was How the night. It's, it's, it's rough out there, sir. Because I have we, to tell you. Because we alternate. Because I'm willing to grab a check with him if it's like Skyline. I mean, right. if it's a $10 check, hell yeah, I'm talking <laughs> real big. This. you know. <laughs> and when we're in New York at lunch, we're at T-Bones on... Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Queens Boulevard. Great place, by the way. Yes. I had the meatloaf. Not (laughs) a $10 lunch for three people, though. Anyway, (laughs) don't talk down T-Bones. We like T-Bones. We do, we do. I I went there, you know, we make this pilgrimage to my old neighborhood every year on the birthday. And literally to the apartment house I grew up in. Oh, yeah. You know, the whole thing. It's just a fun thing. And then we go to this place, the T-Bone Diner in, in Forest Hills. And it's a place that we, you know, when I was in high school, we'd oh, all yeah. hang out there. Yeah. Well, it hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm quick to grab the check. Oh, I got this. It's got a nice one. place, but the meatloaf. Not, not, not that in the right Well, you're about. in a delicatessen. You want to, you know, you want to have a delicatessen food. You don't want to go in there and get a burger. Right, you know? yeah. So you and so I had the meat. You know, had the you you changed your order for the meatloaf. I, I was going to do something else. He's like meatloaf and people uh, could have been hurt mashed by potatoes. That. And <laughs> I switched up the cream corn for the broccoli. I yeah. switched that up. I, I thought it was great, but I was telling Jerry and Mickey and Bonnie that when I worked in the public school district for my whole life, and I got a buddy of mine, Phil Sinkovich, who worked for in another district, happens to be in the audience here, and I'm gonna look over and see if he agrees with this, but I loved having lunch in the cafeteria oh. the whole time I worked in public schools yeah. as a staff oh member. Oh, my God. And I kind of, it, went, it was yeah. good. I mean, it was cheap food, I'm, and it was real salty. I'm with you. you know? <laughs> yeah. It was like, real, it really yeah. kind of barked. It was good oh, food. Yeah. You know? T-Bones was a little bit like that. Felt that like meatloaf. cafeteria food. Yeah. And if Back that's at, not an endorsement, I don't know what it <laughs> really? is. Cheesel Hey, you know, speaking of uh, Mickey, your lovely wife, who is both a saint and a really and, cool person. And a very good cook. And a great cook. <laughs> hey, tell Sorry, us Nick. the story. I've already told the story of how I met my wife on this podcast oh. I did. How did you uh, oh, yeah. meet Mickey? Uh, well, the quick answer is a blind date, but here's how it happened. I had I'd come to Cincinnati between my second and third year of law school. I was in law school at Northwestern University in Chicago, and major law firms around the country would come to Northwestern and interview second-year students to see who they would offer a job to for an internship and for the summer. And then if they liked your work with the internship, then they would offer you a job when you graduated. So I don't know where I get this interview with uh, the firm at the time. was called Frost & Jacobs, a big corporate firm in Cincinnati. And they came out there and they offered me the summer internship. And truthfully, I hadn't heard much about Cincinnati. You know, I was raised in New York, and I knew Cincinnati lost to the Yankees in the 61 series. (laughs) 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 But uh, other than that, I didn't know much about it. But I figured it's a summer job, and uh, why not? So I came here and practiced during the summer, and it was just wonderful. I fell in love with Cincinnati, and I had a girlfriend, and that was all great. How did that happen? 
And uh, anyway, so then I go back for my senior year. And during the senior year, you know, we just broke apart, not over any fight or anything, but she wised up and found another guy and married this guy. Now, uh, I go to work, when I graduate, I go to work for uh, Bobby Kennedy, and then, of course, he's killed. I bum around in New York for a while, and then I realized I had to make a living. So I took the Ohio bar, passed it, and came back out to Cincinnati. Now, it is um, June of 1969. I moved back to Cincinnati, and I start working that first week. The first week I'm there at the law office downtown, on a Friday afternoon, the phone rings, and the guy on the phone is her husband, the, of, the this girl, of the ex-girlfriend's okay. husband. Real nice guy, worked at Procter & Gamble. He says, hi, Jer, welcome to the city, everything. You know, we were all friendly. And he says, you know, I'm working here at Procter & Gamble. There are a lot of young ladies here. Back then, we called them girls, you know, obviously politically incorrect. But anyway, he says, there's a, a nice girls here. Uh, you know, would you like me to... Would you like me to fix you up? Well, hell yeah. I'm, you know, I'm 20, <laughs> I'm 24 years old. You know, I'm a young attorney, new in town. I just had my new car, which was a little 850 Spider, a convertible. It was a piece of tin. But it was if a you remember, a Fiat. Fiat. Yeah, the Fiat stands for Fix It Again, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> fix It Again. Which is the name of Mickey's sister. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, it was. But it looked great. And what did I know about cars? I said, oh, this is great. So uh, he says, I'll put, her, I'll, I'll put this girl on the phone. And I talked to her, and she seemed real nice. I said, would you like to go to dinner tonight? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I'm, and when I get out of work, I'll pick you up in front of Procter & Gamble. We'll go to eat. So I, I'm getting all excited. I pick her up right in front of uh, Procter & Gamble, and we go down I-75. If you know the area in Cincinnati, it's the big interstate that runs through it. And we go down the interstate. I'm going 70 miles an hour. The top's down. It's a beautiful June evening. I'm feeling on top of the world, a very pretty girl next to me. You know, how cool could I be? All of a sudden, she turns to me, and she throws up all over me. <laughs> she meant... Are you for real? She threw real? up on you. This, there is no embellishment oh in this God. story. <laughs> she meant to turn to say, could you pull over? I'm not feeling well. Mistimed oh it. Yeah. And the top's down. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I'm going down Can the you instead of Megan. Wow. <laughs> and I'm sure you handled it and like I, a gentleman. <laughs> and I pulled over on the shoulder quickly, and she is huddled down oh. on the floor. Oh, that poor you can thing. imagine how humiliating it was for her. Oh, that I mean, poor you know, thing. I so I, I, you know, immediately, I, obviously, I felt sorry for her. That's okay. You know, you don't have to cry. This is fine. And so I said, me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this is normal. This is normal. So I said, I'll, you know, why don't I take you, take you home? Cause you know, uh, I'll just take you. I didn't kiss her. Good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I take her home. <laughs> now it's the next Friday. Mm. It's the afternoon. And the secretary, you know, buzzes the office and I'm at work there and I pick it up and there's a call for you. And this is the conversation, word for word. <laughs> Jerry, yeah. And this is the guy. This is Lee. Don't hang up. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> I got another one. <laughs> and the other one turned out to be Mickey. Oh, that's a good And then I took her out that night. And I, when, when, when Mickey got on the phone, my first question, I said, what did you have for lunch? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she couldn't understand why I was... 
Now tell one. And Katie, oh, wow. our daughter, to this day says, but for a bad lunch, she wouldn't be here. Aww. Because it's probably true. Paula, the, the name of the woman, I won't give the last name, a, a lovely lady, you know, 30 years later, I'm giving a speech here in Cincinnati. And after the speech, you know, people come up and talk, take pictures, whatever. And this woman comes up, middle-aged woman, and says, I don't know if you remember me. And all of a sudden, I go, <laughs> and she goes, oh, no, you remember. <laughs> well, she's, she's married. She has three children. She says, I can never tell my children how I know you. <laughs> you know, because they vomited all over the guy. Yeah. We need to get her on. Yes, we did. And find out the real reason for the vomit. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we uh, move on, just tell one last thing, because I like people to get an, a true yeah. insight into what kind of a classy person you are. The first. <laughs> <laughs> So you just told us Testing, how you met you. how you met Mickey and, yeah. and Bonnie and I know Mickey and yeah. she's just we she love really her. Is. So so you on your first date with Mickey on this blind date yes took her to your apartment and you fixed dinner for her. It wasn't True? the first. It, uh, it wasn't the first night. It was about three nights, three dates in. But how cool is that? That you, you brought her to your apartment and you yeah. fixed her dinner. Well, <laughs> true. Well, I kind of. So what did you the, fix her? Well, I, I lived this upstairs on Harrison Avenue. This little west two, side of Cincinnati. Yeah, yep. two room apartment. And uh, I don't know how to cook, so I bought this Swanson TV dinner. <laughs> Yo, you think it's easy? You got to pull back the, the, the muffin. You got to yeah. pull back the foil so that you don't real. get the muffin. <laughs> and I put it in the, in the oven. I got it out just in time. And I had a wicker plate because I didn't have any silver. <laughs> <laughs> and I dumped it. Oh, my God. The content on the plate. And we had a ho hoes for dessert. <laughs> she married you. And she still married me. Yeah. But honestly, That's I didn't really even think cute. it was funny. I thought, oh, this is cool. We'll this have, is legit. Yeah, this is what I ate. By the way, I relate to this totally. We <laughs> ate TV dinners back then. And, I mean, and you know, the one I that I really liked, and I it think over effort. the years you may have mentioned this is the one you serve, so I respect your taste on this too. The <laughs> meatloaf. I can tell you what it is: meatloaf, mashed potatoes, peas, and that apple sauce, apple sauce uh, yeah. muffin thing. That oh rises yeah! Up. Oh, that's a killer meal. Yeah, if I also doesn't like that. <laughs> yeah, and maybe you got to keep looking. I also like the uh, chicken parmesan. That was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. We're yeah, talking about she this. stuck together a little bit. Yeah. We're much talking for about me, this but for real. Now, uh, when uh, Mickey still doesn't cook that, well, she cooks great. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say what were you going to say, Jerry? <laughs> I, I just keep I know you wanted to. Joke. Go ahead. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> hey, um, no, she said she wanted to go on vacation. She really? And she, I said, where? She said, I'd like to go someplace we've never been. I said, try the kitchen. <laughs> oh, 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 stop. That's Whoa. just a Whoa, joke. It's a joke. No. She, oh, want, rough. she wanted a watch for Christmas. I said, why? There's a clock on the stove. <laughs> oh, my God. These are all horrible <laughs> jokes. Yeah, these are all horrible jokes. <laughs> On the Which internet, is why I don't tell under them. Cooking <laughs> jokes. Cooking. Yeah, that's where you find. So we're going to get rid of those. Too. <laughs> yeah. We're going we're gonna to get rid of those. Hey, uh, Donald Trump. Boy, isn't Ooh. this interesting? Now, again, Speaking we're streaming live. Some people are hearing this again on the night of the Nevada caucuses. But uh, and we have been talking about this presidential cycle since we started this podcast. 
And it's so fascinating. And we have found ourselves, and I've heard you say it, Jerry, and I've never disagreed with you. Well, one thing you don't have to worry about is Donald Trump will not be nominated. Donald Trump will not be president. Well, now it's looking increasingly like he very well could get nominated. But you were, I heard you spin a theory the other day that I'd love to have you share about what might happen at the Republican convention in Cleveland this summer. Can you talk about okay. that? Here's my thought. First of all, I should start out like everyone who is a, quote, pundit yep. should start out. No one knows what's going to happen. No one saw this coming, though we might have. Uh, we should have. But so no one knows. And tomorrow something happens and it's a totally different terrain. But I keep saying that Donald Trump will not be our next president. And I admit each week I get a little more nervous because, you know, each week he seems to keep on going. However, here's, here's, so we don't know what's going to happen. I'm assuming Trump, let's assume that he doesn't self-destruct, like there isn't something that suddenly comes out, although it's hard to imagine with all the stuff that already is out, but let's assume there's just something that just finally gets people to say he can't be president of the United States. Let him go back to The Apprentice, you know, and all that, and I'll stay at his hotels, but he can't be president. Something happens. That's always the possibility. But let's assume it just continues. Every once in a while, he'll insult someone, but still be there. The process of choosing the Republican candidate for president is something which is working against him. The reason is, until March 15th, almost every single primary is, and the caucuses are proportional, so that even though Donald Trump keeps winning, he wins with 30-something percent. He's nowhere near getting the 50 percent. In order to get the nomination, when they're in Cleveland this summer, the Republican, one of those candidates has to have 50% plus one, which comes out, I think, to 1,237 delegates. Right now, he's not on pace to be anywhere close to that, even winning every single primary, because when he wins, he only wins 34%, or even less, 32 or whatever. So that's his first problem. Now, there are, starting March 15th, some states that start having winner-take-all. The problem is two of those states, one is Florida. Well, you got Rubio that could possibly win there. And one is Ohio, and you got Kasich who could possibly win there. I'd say possibly because right now Trump is beating both of them. In polls, Trump is ahead of both Kasich in Ohio and uh, Rubio in Florida by about five or six percentage. In other words, it's close, but it's possible. So... The more likely scenario is, and Kasich, even though he's under great pressure, Kasich has no reason to pull out right now. He might as well wait to see how he does in Ohio, because if he wins in Ohio, he won't have enough delegates to get the nomination, but he can be a player at the convention and possibly even get himself on as a vice presidential candidate to whoever you know wins. So that's a possibility, because... Kasich fits as a VP because no one else hates him. You know, he's not, you know what I mean? He's not on the anti list of it. He hasn't been the one really going after Trump. 
And he hasn't been the one really going after, you know, he hasn't gotten into the fight that took place between Cruz and Rubio, et cetera. So he's in a, or Bush. So he's in a fairly good position to be acceptable. And so he probably stays in. So you have to look at that and say, how does Trump ever get 50% of the delegates? The only way he can get the nomination is that at the convention then, the other candidates because they're bound on the first ballot, except the superdelegates. And the Repubs, I think, have about 150 superdelegates. Now, you have to assume the superdelegates are basically establishment guys. Well, they are. The superdelegates are office, Republican office holders, you know, and leaders around the country. That's the establishment. They're the ones who don't want Trump. So again, without that 150, how does Trump ever get to 50% of all the delegates? So Trump's only way to get the nomination, unless everyone else drops out, is at the convention, even though he's under 50%, the delegates from the other candidates on the second ballot start moving away from the candidate they support, realizing they can't get it, and they join with Trump. It's not likely, because every poll shows that Trump is virtually no one's second choice. So for Trump... To get the nomination, that would have to happen. Here's what is possible. The other candidates all get together with the establishment and they put together the 50% of the delegates and someone else is nominated. Either one of the guys currently running, like Kasich or I don't see anyone else now that Bush is out, or they could pick someone who hasn't. You know, they could go though I don't see it happening, to a Romney or even to a Ryan. You know, pick someone that is acceptable to various wings of the party. That's possible. But here's the point. Any effort to stop Trump from getting the nomination, if he in fact has more delegates than any other candidate, even though he doesn't have 50%, I'm telling you, the Trump people will walk. I'm not talking about the people at the convention. I'm saying Trump supporters around the country. Remember, the whole basis of their campaign is they hate the establishment. And if the establishment gets together at the convention and stops him from having the nomination, even though his 34% is more than any other candidates, they will say once again, the establishment is ripping us off. Now, they're not going to go out and vote for Hillary, but they'll stay home and Hillary will be the next president. So the Republicans are in real trouble. If they work too hard to stop Trump, they will lose his supporters and lose the general election. If they don't stop Trump, the American people will stop them from winning, and the other Republican candidates on tickets around the country in moderate states will be in great trouble with Trump at the head of the ticket. Because it's hard to look at the map and see how Trump gets elected in a general election. Remember, he's getting 34%. But he's getting 34% of Republicans. You don't get elected president of the United States unless you get every Republican vote and a majority of the um, independent vote. And even that makes it close. The electoral map is such today that it's very hard for a Republican to be elected president anymore. The demographics has changed. Now, the Republicans can control the Senate 
and they can control the House because of, because of the way gerrymandering, the way the lines are drawn, and they control the state houses, and they win election in off-presidential years. But the people who show up in presidential years represent the demographics of the entire country. And the country has changed. Five of the last six presidential elections, more people voted for the Democrat than the Republican. We are going to have Democratic presidents, barring some event that we haven't thought about yet or hasn't happened yet. But the country is Democrat in terms of the presidency. It's because most people, a lot of people don't vote in off-year elections that we get a Republican House which, you know, and a Republican Senate although the Senate may possibly change. So that's what I see happening. I don't see Trump getting the nomination, but if he does and they try and stop it, I don't see him winning the presidency because if they give it to, if they give it to someone else, the Republicans walk. If he's the candidate, they lose. I and think, that's the dilemma they're in. I think that's really uh, good and a little deeper thinking on figuring out those numbers that... The Trump supporters, and I actually think their convention could be a freaking mess because of what you're talking about. Not only will the Trump voters, and one of the things he's doing is he's bringing in some new voters, some really angry people. They, yep. They're certainly not the profile that I identify with, but he's drawing in people. And those people won't play nice. They don't know politics. They've never been through this before. A lot of us who've been through this, we're kind of resilient. We're we're big boys and girls where we can say, all right, I lost this one, but I'll be around for the next one. And you kind of roll with it and you compromise your views and, and they you support feel, somebody You're else. right. They feel no loyalty to the no Republican loyalty. Party. In fact, they're involved because they don't like the That's establishment. They, look what happened to Bush, yep. who in fairness to Jeb Bush is prob was probably one of the two grown-ups on the Republican side yep. running for office. Yeah. You know, I'm no fan. I was no fan of George Bush. And I don't like the policies of what Jeb Bush would have put in, but he's a a decent, responsible, bright grown-up. It's a Republican yeah. point of view, but you could see him as a president. So, and look what they did to him. What, 7% of the vote in South yeah. Carolina yeah. where his brother was, you know, incredibly popular. So this Trump movement is more anti-Republican than it is anti-Democrat. Oh, absolutely. Because they feel that My they've been God. lied to by the Republicans. The Dems, they knew, would never support them. Yeah, it's, this is something that's really, just one other thing on Trump, it's scaring the hell out of me. He said today, yesterday, uh, as they were taking out a protester who was probably obnoxious and, you know, I think it might have been the guy that pulled the plug on the lights. And anyway, there, and Trump said, I like to quote, I like to punch him in his face. He said that. And that's, you know, Huffington Post, Politico, it's Daily Coast. It's the jury springerization <laughs> of our political system. Man, you know what? I have to, you are the cause of this. It's true. It's I'm, true. I'm you are the fault you know, of Western Jerry, civilization. Oh, my gosh. I hate fun. this thing, and so I'm going to use this as a metaphor, and I'm going to run from it real fast. <laughs> this thing where you start comparing people to Hitler. I, I hate it when that's done, because it's so, so extreme, and frankly, it cheapens the horror of what Hitler really yeah, did. So that's the first you. reason to do it. When you have a guy who is that populist and who is that uh, ugly and at times racist and classist that he would talk about, I mean, it makes me think of a speech that Hitler would give. 
of, you know, like, yeah, I like to jack that guy. And then some, you know, there have been incidents at his rallies where people are on the ground fighting and he's cheering on his own people as they're kicking the crap out of the people that are on the ground. That is not only unpresidential, which, of course, it is. That's beyond that. Yeah. This yeah. guy is scary. I'm not saying scary like what if he's president, because I still, I can't call this any more than anybody else. We've all been so wrong about it. But this guy taps into the ugliness, mm -hmm. the darkest of us. Yeah, I, the only thing which helps me sleep at night and, and why I, I understand where you're going with that. The, the reason, the comparison other than the degree is, is, is not right. I, I would simply say that with Trump, I'm not sure he believes anything he's saying. Trump is a showman, and Trump realizes this works. And, you know, if I got a joke that's working, I go with a joke. Sometimes I go with jokes when, that don't work. So when when but, was uh, that day? Yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> but, times. I mean, so he's, he's going with his shtick. He doesn't believe, because... Some of what he's saying is anti-Republican, anti-conservative. He doesn't right. have any political philosophy. It's all about Trump, you know, which makes him different than most dictators who do have a horrific philosophy, et cetera. So that's the only thing. What I think would happen if Trump were president, I think he'd be a president with virtually no power mm -hmm. because I think the entire – and presidents who are wonderful have limited power. But this president, everyone would, there'd be nothing with him, no one with him in the Senate, no one with him even in the House, um, in the military established, everything. I mean, you know, they say we have a crazy man in. And so that's my, the way I look at it is, one, I don't think he ever gets elected. And two, if he got elected, there would be so much movement not to give him any power. They're not going to, there are too many rational people still in government, philosophy aside. I think the Republican establishment would say this is going to be the end of our party unless we deal with this. this well, saying, one... It's just like they turned on Nixon. At some yeah. point, you say, you know, it's how the Democrats turned on Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you true. know, people do, good people do rise up when you get someone who is so extreme. The only thing which doesn't scare me about Trump is maybe because I know him a little bit. He's a showman. And, you know, if you met him in person— and he stayed away from his racial comments. You know, what's the best show? Is this going to work? Let's do this. You, you had, know, you had said on a few podcasts ago, you don't, you didn't really believe that he wanted to be president. Do you still think that, or do you think it's like it's gone to a point now where he's he's tasting it and it's getting I think further? I think he's tasting it. I think in the beginning, he just enjoyed the attention and the, yeah. And you know, anyone who runs for president at some level is an egomaniac. And, yeah. you know, the more mature people can control it. Um, but there, you know, you have to look, imagine what goes through your mind to think I can be leader of the free world. I mean, you know, when you're sitting alone in the room and you're not trying to impress anyone, you're probably getting up in the morning going, holy shit, what do I do? You know, right. I would hope yeah. so. I would yeah. hope that the president. Does yeah. That. So Trump has had to have had these feelings. And every once in a while. Particularly, like, after he didn't do so, which primary didn't he win? Um, Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you start to see a little crack in the, he says the same words, but the, remember what we said after he lost Iowa. Mm -hmm. We said, if he doesn't win New Hampshire, it's over. Because his whole shtick is he's a winner. Right. As soon as he loses one or two in a row, 
I think he's done. He's got nothing else to sell. No one's going to vote for him because he's got the best policies. No one knows what his policies are except building a wall. You know, it, it, it's voting. People are voting for him because, and I get it, resentment is the most powerful force in politics. When you think people are looking down at you or giving you a rough deal, you just want someone that's going to fight back and you don't care what his issues are. It's, damn, the big guy. We're getting him. You go. It's like I used this example before. You're a kid in class when you're a young kid in junior high, and there's a kid in the back of the room saying all sorts of horrible things to the teacher or whatever. You know that's not the right thing to do, but you're enjoying it because someone's giving it to the, you know, you're cheering that kid on under your breath. Yeah, tell her, tell her, tell her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the way people are looking at Trump. He's giving it to the big guy. Here's someone with equal resources can take on. What do you, I mean, that whole thing against Jeb Bush, if that wasn't resentment, what else was it? Well, here, Jerry, here's, uh, I, and I agree with you, the showman thing mm -hmm. drives him. But I worry, and I hope I'm wrong about this and time will tell, that at his core, he's a punk and a bully. And I all knew, bullies are. And I knew people like this, we all did, as we grew up, just punks and bullies, and sometimes the biggest punks and bullies were the ones that got that power. Sometimes it might have been physical prowess, it might have been a variety of things, glibness, athleticism, sometimes money. And I wonder if at his core he has some of this uh, darkness and punkiness, and I would hate to have that in the presidency. I can, by the way, I can roll sometimes with the showmanship, particularly if it's carrying to a victory that I, you know, something I agree with. But being just a bully, you were talking about Barack Obama before. He's the exact opposite of that. He's a good guy. He's a good, frankly, a good role model. He's, he expresses through his life mm -hmm. uh, idealism. And Trump is a, is just strikes me as a punk. And I just can't imagine that becoming the leader of, uh, well, of I can't either. World. I'm not, yeah, I mean, I agree. Well, that's what I worry yeah. about. No, I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, that's what I, that's a side of this that I got my eye on. I and, think our government, here's because otherwise I don't sleep at night. I'm holding on to the notion that our government is, there are too many responsible, powerful people in powerful positions that can stop a president from doing every yeah. anything crazy. Checks and balances. Checks and Up balances. And yeah, and even within the administration, right. even within the person that has the black bag. Trust me, they're not going to let his finger on the button. There's going to be some private meeting someplace where the guy holding the bag will be told by the military, just make sure you call us before you hand him the bag. Or <laughs> something, you know, I don't know. Texas. It's not, you know, you, you just got, there are too many responsible people. And you see it, you, you see it in, the, in some really top professional people in any administration. Someone that finally says, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. So you can make mistakes in policy, but they're not going to let him go crazy. And frankly, he's going to have to rely on advisors because he doesn't know anything about it. Anything. And that's yeah. not like a, a slam on him. My slam on him is, is that he has so little respect for America that he's running. In other words, there's some people I would never say, if you're sick, let me operate on you. You know, I would say, I don't know anything about that. I shouldn't do it. Hey, and, and he should say that. He doesn't know how to run a country. 
Let me throw one other worry to you and see which, and then because we, we've got uh, Mark Utley coming up with some great music. And when I, I referenced that thing before about the comment he made about I like to punch the guy in the face, and he's done that at other rallies yeah, where yeah, he's kind of egged right. on his own people. Here's what I also worry about if that guy keeps evolving and getting more power as a candidate, I'm worried about what could happen in America where big pockets of people hear that, start setting up their sides, and you now start to have unrest in America because he's representing one attitude towards Muslims, towards African-Americans, towards Hispanic Latinos. And then those people are going to have their feelings and their emotions, and you could then have unrest in America precipitated by the guy that's running for president. That scares me. That, that it feeds that it it can grow that. They're not going to let. That's why I keep thinking they're emotions. not going to let him get the nomination. They'll bite the bullet. They'll say, "Okay, um, we'll take a loss in this presidential election. We'll what, come back four years from now. And we'll try to beat Hillary next time around." You know, and both parties have done that. You know, we had that, you know, I love George McGovern, but I don't know what I was thinking. America wasn't going to vote for McGovern. And uh, and we took a bath. And frankly, we took a bath for a bunch of years. The only thing that saved us was the Democratic Party at the time was Watergate. Yep. Uh, but, I mean, that happens. And it happens throughout history. From one party to the next party, something goes wrong. But I think responsible people, I mean, I got to think that. Sure. I'm not going to let I'm not going to let an amateur, you know, say what you want about Barack Obama. He's invariably going to be the one, if not the smartest person in the room. So whatever it is, you knew he would make good judgments. You know, he it was going to be rational. He wasn't going to go off the deep end. He was going to think, you know, if anything, people get upset with him because he's not acting quickly enough. But he's thinking it all through. Trump doesn't have that temperament. It is the exact wrong temperament to have as president of the United States, someone that you can get under their skin. Jeezel, that'll be awful. But I don't think that our government is going to permit that to happen. Presidents well, are not that powerful. They're really not. See how it plays out. I, he's, uh, he'll win Nevada tonight, and uh, he's, like yeah. we say, he's running ahead in uh, polls and places that are coming up in the next He's doing great Tuesdays. with the polls, but he's not doing well with the Czechoslovakians. <laughs> we couldn't go a whole right. podcast, could we? <laughs> <laughs> if we could uh, call Mark forward, we're going to do some music. Good. Mark's coming in as we speak. And let me introduce uh, Mark Utley. I hope I'm pronouncing the last name correctly. I am. All right. And uh, Mark, by the way, he's been doing music for a while, which makes him good. And he comes from Evansville, Indiana, but he's also been around the Cincinnati area for a while. He's got an album out. His latest one is called Bulletville. His website is markutley.com, M-A-R-K-U-T-L-E-Y, associated with a couple of other bands, Magnolia Mountain and also Bulletville. And uh, Mark, please start us off with a song. Welcome. Thank you. All right, I'm going to try to clear out a little bit of the Donald Trump that's hanging over this room. (laughs) Thank you, sir. (laughs) When I was a young boy, my father said to me, 
always be an honest working man From the East Kentucky coal mines to the California sunshine He said there is enough for us all So my family kept on working and they bought a modest home And it was there they raised a family Kept on working harder for their little son and daughter So there'd be enough for us all There is enough, there is enough for us all From the gleaming midnight cities to the humble family farm There is enough, there is enough for us all Brothers, there is enough for us all But now that I am older with a family of my own I wonder if my father's dream is gone When all the jobs are leaving it gets hard to keep believing That there is enough for us all For the bounty of our nation has been squandered by our greed There are no checks upon our appetite Deaf to other sorrows, living like there's no tomorrow But there is enough for us all There is enough, there is enough for us all From the Colorado mountains to the hills of Ohio There is enough, there is enough for us all Sisters, there is enough for us all Oh, my brothers and my sisters, won't you listen to my song? Live simply so that all may simply live. Don't let your souls be bought and sold because you have forgotten that there is enough for us all. There is enough. There is enough for us all. From the mighty Mississippi to the halls of Washington There is enough, there is enough for us all Brothers, there is enough for us all Oh sisters, there is enough for us all Oh people, there is enough for us all Mark Utley, something tells me Mark feels the burn. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> he probably feels the burn. Yeah, Mark may yeah. just yeah. feel the burn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, since FDR yeah. is not around anymore, I'm... I'm uh. Yeah, <laughs> I, that is, I agree with you, Jerry. That's a very cool song, you know, kind of Woody Guthrie-ish. Just very beautiful. Well, how long ago did you write that, by the way? I wrote that in 2010. I actually wrote it for a band called The Tillers. I was say that's on oh, The Tillers yeah. album. Yeah, and they, yeah. they recorded it on their um, no By the Signs album. It's a good song. And I've never recorded it myself. I just thought it would work here. Yeah, so. and The Tillers are known, certainly in this area, and they've yeah. been on our podcast. Mm -hmm. We love The Tillers. and uh, Yeah, they're good. Very cool. Hey, uh, help us out by uh, 
taking us out on Irene Goodnight. Let Jerry Springer sing a verse with I'll you. Away the word. Does he have his lyrics? Yeah, he's, he's pulling up his lyrics here. He's freaking I'm out. stab you. He doesn't. He, no, no, no he doesn't it. have them. He doesn't have them. Well, 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 how could he be missing? Well, I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll sing them for got you. Got it. So he's got Thanks. them. <laughs> All right, whenever you're ready, Mark. I have Mark. it laminated for you. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Sometimes I live in the country and sometimes I live in town Sometimes I take a great notion To jump in the river and drown So I Come back now. <laughs>